call to worship is Psalm 9, Psalm 9, the first ten verses. A Psalm of David. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause. You have sat on your throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken the enemy. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established His throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And we'll see how this psalm fits with our text today as well. Let's sing God's words. Let's sing Psalm 9a to the tune of hymn number 275. Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah chapter 13. And I think if you think about our story that we've been going through in Daniel, you'll see how this actually matches up with Daniel chapter 5 and what happens in Daniel chapter 5. Isaiah 13 is a prophecy against Babylon. The prophet tells us that. And the prophet tells us at the end of the prophecy about who's going to exercise God's judgment. And so when we read this, let's think about the story of Daniel, the imagery in Daniel, because I think you'll see that this is very parallel to what happens in our text in Daniel chapter 5. And also, I should also mention that Belshazzar who is the, the king of Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar, ruled for about 41 or 42 years. And so it's very interesting to think about that timing and that historical context and our story of Daniel as we read this. Isaiah chapter 13, a prophecy against Babylon. You'll notice in this prophecy as well, I should mention it up front, you'll see a lot of similarity in this chapter between the judgment on Babylon and the judgment on Jerusalem. And it comes even more into play in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. But think about Deuteronomy chapter 28. Think about how God judged Israel as well. And we'll see how this dovetails into Daniel chapter 5. A prophecy against Babylon, an oracle concerning Babylon that Isaiah son of Amos saw. Raise a banner on a bare hilltop, shout to them, beckon to them to enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my holy ones. I have summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath. Those who rejoice in my triumph. Listen, a noise on the mountains, like that of a great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms, like nations massing together. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens. The Lord and the weapons of His wrath to destroy the whole country. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will rise like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. 
I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty. I will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make man scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of His burning anger. Like a hunted gazelle, like sheep without a shepherd, each will return to his own people. Each will flee to his native land. Whoever is captured will be thrust through. All who are caught will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be looted and their wives ravished. See, I will stir up against them the Medes who do not care for silver and have no delight in gold. Their bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonians' pride, will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherd will rest his flocks there. But desert creatures will lie there. Jackals will fill her houses. There the owls will dwell. There the wild goats will leap about. Hyenas will howl in her strongholds. Jackals in her luxurious palaces. Her time is at hand and her days will not be prolonged. And if we were to continue in Isaiah at that point, we would talk about the days when Israel would be taken back into the land, which we see later in the story with Cyrus. As we come to Daniel chapter 5, we come to another great story with Daniel at the very center. Daniel 5 tells about remarkable events that gave birth to a common phrase even in our culture today. What do you think of when someone says that they can see the writing on the wall? Well, you should think about Daniel chapter 5 because that's where it comes from and the saying really usually applies to something that's about to happen, usually something bad. That's what it means when we say that we see the writing on the wall. Well, if you really want to understand this this chapter 5 of Daniel you're going to have to remember a lot of the details that has come before it because Daniel chapter 5 is building on the first four chapters. So everything that's leading up to this point in Daniel chapter 5 is preparing us for what happens in the chapter. So remember, Daniel 1 talks about Nebuchadnezzar carrying off the articles of gold from God's temple. And we also find Daniel's first exaltation in Daniel 1. He became friends of the king because Nebuchadnezzar gave him a new name as he found him in Babylon. So those details become important in Daniel chapter 5. And Daniel 2 tells us about Daniel's ability to interpret dreams and to solve riddles by the Spirit of of God. So Daniel 2 also introduces that metal man image that we remember that we talked about and the metal sequence of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay, which is this new temple that God was building in Babylon, and his people were going into Babylon to serve God in this new temple because all those metals come from the construction of Solomon's temple back in the earlier part of the Old Testament. So those details come back to play in chapter 5 as well. Daniel 3 talks about Nebuchadnezzar's attempt to lead worship in his kingdom, which, remember, like Saul earlier in the Old Testament, was not his place to do. The Jews, specifically Daniel and his three friends, 
were the ones that God had called to lead worship in Babylon. So we have this great fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar's altar ended up consuming the sacrifices of the king's strongmen, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery tribulation unscathed. And so God had chosen who his priests would be in the three men. Daniel 4 tells us of Nebuchadnezzar's confession of the one true faith. Remember that he had had a dream of a great tree that reached to heaven, but that tree was cut down for seven times, and this was a new creation week, after which Nebuchadnezzar's repentance, the prodigal son or ruler, repents and then God gives him the kingdom back, for he was a new creation. So we see these details in in Daniel chapter 4 also will play a big role in what happens in Daniel chapter 5. Now I've also mentioned as we've gone through Daniel how the ten sections, the ten literary sections of Daniel match the ten commandments. So there's a correspondence between the first commandment in Daniel chapter 1, 2 and 2, 3 and 3. Actually, Daniel, the, the, the ten, cha- ten sections of Daniel match our chapter breaks very well until we get to the very last three chapters of Daniel, which were all one literary section. Well, the fifth chapter of Daniel matches the fifth commandment. And we're going to see how that works very clearly. But the fifth commandment is, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The commandment to honor your father and your mother. And we're going to see how that plays a very big role in Daniel chapter 5. And we can see its basic wisdom because the Proverbs expands on that very command. In Proverbs 3.1, Solomon says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Son, the father is speaking to the son, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. And so this is basic wisdom in the fifth of the Ten Commandments. And we'll see how Daniel 5 dances with all these allusions to fathers and mothers, obedient sons and disobedient sons, even life and death comes into play. So keep all these themes in the back of your mind as we go to our text in Daniel chapter 5. And let's begin reading the very first four verses. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. You see all those allusions back to the earlier chapters of Daniel? What's going on here with this great feast? Um, It helps to put these details into a historical context. Belshazzar was in dire straits. That's how this chapter opens up. Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was desperate. His armies had been defeated by the Medes and they were coming for a hostile takeover of Babylon. So what did Belshazzar the king do? He threw a feast. And in Aramaic, it's actually, literally, he threw a great bread. And so what we have here, the very first four verses of chapter 5, is a great bread and wine. This is a communion feast 
in which Belshazzar is invoking all of the gods of Babylon to hear him. He was facing a defeat. And that's how you do even, even idols. Idol worship in the Old Testament involved communion services, communion, eating bread and wine in the presence of the gods. We see that with sacrifices in the pagan temples as well. So what we have here is a communion feast where Belshazzar calls on all the gods of Babylon because his nation was in distress. And this is something we can understand in our day too because when nations find themselves in distress, when there is trouble on the battlefield, what you will see is that nations will call upon their gods. They will strengthen the gods that they know. And that's what Belshazzar does. He worships the, the gods of silver, of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Does that sequence look familiar to you? It's the same sequence, almost, as what we saw back in Daniel chapter 2. And notice what changes in it. What is substituted for clay is now become wood and stone. Remember that the metal man image that we saw in Daniel 2 is an upright temple. Imagine that as a temple standing upright. And if we remember back to Daniel chapter 2, that image is standing on feet of clay. And the imagery that I had there was that these are the Jews upon whom is resting this kingdom, God's kingdom, God's temple in which he would work for that time period. But now we see that the clay has been replaced with wood and stone. So no longer is it resting upon the clay. This metal sequence is resting upon wood and stone. And there's an important imagery there because now what we see is that Belshazzar is now worshiping in a false temple, in an idol-infested temple because the gods of idols in the Old Testament are often associated with wood and stone. And there's other differences too just in the, in the imagery itself. Clay is actually fashionable. You can fashion clay with your hands. Just like God fashioned Israel like the potter fashions the clay. That's not the case with wood and stone. Wood and stone are solid. They cannot be shaped or, or, or put into place with a hand. So there's a, there's, an, there's a reason for that particular choice in imagery. So this was, this was a replacement of Belshazzar whose father had been in God's kingdom, in God's temple, who had recognized Daniel's role in the kingdom and had confessed his faith in the one true God. And now we have the beginning of chapter 5 with Belshazzar who is engaged in a stone and wood temple of idols. Verse 5. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His first face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way and he crapped himself. Actually, that's what it says in Aramaic. <laughs> Belshazzar invoked all the gods of Babylon and guess what? The only god that can see and hear actually shows up. So the king soiled himself. Yes, he pooped in his pants and peed in his pants. And that's literally what the Aramaic text says, of course, smoothed over in modern English translation so that the modern Christian reader's mind would not be soiled by the mundane, scatological humor of the text. And unfortunately, when it does that, you don't get to see that this is actually the fulfillment of another prophecy in Isaiah because the English cleans up the language so we don't see all this stuff. 
But if you go back to Isaiah chapter 45, this is actually prophesied. Go back to Isaiah 45.1. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their soiled armor, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. That is, the buttocks, technically, will not be shut because when Cyrus comes, kings are going to crap themselves, which happens in Daniel chapter 5, verse 6. So we have this interesting detail here about Cyrus, who was the Medo-Persian emperor, who, of course, remember, Medo-Persia was what part of the metal man image? What's next after the gold? Silver. And so we have this fulfillment of Daniel chapter 2 coming to pass in Daniel chapter 5. Let's continue in our text in verse 7. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, mother, literally in Aramaic, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, I appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. Notice how the, the imagery of fatherhood and motherhood comes into play at this point. It should cause us to think of the fifth commandment. And by the way, fatherhood here in this text is used a little differently than we, than we understand it because in Babylonian kings, they would understand that their successors, the next king, was the son of the previous king. So it's not necessarily a biological sense here. It is more, more along the lines of the successor to the throne that those were called a son of the former king. And the queen mother is the one who would, of course, really the only female in Babylonian culture who would have exerted any political power whatsoever. But the queen mother calls for Belshazzar to remember the man his father relied upon successfully. And so what we have here is Daniel was the one who was called to read God's writing. It could only be read by God's holy priest. And that's what you see with all these astrologers come in and they can't read it. And you have to imagine this in Aramaic. All the letters are together. There are no vowels. It's kind of like trying to decipher what people put on the license tags sometimes. You can, they have all a bunch of words scrunched together. But imagine it a little bit longer with no vowels and no, no, no distinctions. And there's a reason why they, that Daniel had a different take on this because they were reading it as, reading these words that we're going to get to later as nouns when they're actually verbs. So they, the queen mother 
calls for Belshazzar to bring in Daniel. Verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? That's an insult, by the way. She did, the queen mother did not call Daniel an exile. She called him a wise man, chief of all the astrologers. Belshazzar insults him. I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. A couple a couple possibilities in this text. It may have been that, that Belshazzar was asking Daniel or trying to bribe him to give a good, proper, positive reading for Belshazzar. It also could be this rejection of Daniel. Daniel may have rejected this because he understood himself already as the ruler, still the chief of all the wise men and astrologers. So to accept this would have been ex- ex- accepting something that he already had and it would have been t- telling a lie about who Daniel was in this kingdom. But Daniel decides that he's going to read this for him and there's some other interesting details that, that tell us that Belshazzar knew who Daniel was all along. In fact, Belshazzar probably grew up with Daniel and he probably knew Daniel, both of them being in the court of Babylon, both of them being in politics, they would have known each other. And in fact, we see that Daniel is not even one of these thousand nobles who are part of this great feast. He wasn't even invited because they have to go get Daniel and bring him into the feast. So Daniel is totally on the outs under the administration of Belshazzar, even though Belshazzar knew who he was as God's servant priest. Verse 18, O king, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him those the king wanted to put to death he put to death those he wanted to spare he spared those he wanted to promote he promoted and those he wanted to humble he humbled but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. What is Daniel doing? He is preaching the gospel to Belshazzar. He is reporting the history of Nebuchadnezzar's final faithfulness back to Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar had learned what it meant to live and rule as a faithful son of God and that means that Belshazzar was not only called to honor honor Nebuchadnezzar's administration but Nebuchadnezzar's God, his father in heaven. And that is ultimately what the fifth commandment is all about. And it goes back to Adam, God's first son, 
who is called to honor his father after he was given the dominion and rule over the Garden of Eden. So we always have to keep this in mind about the law and about the fifth commandment because the fifth commandment is ultimately ultimately about honoring God the Father as opposed to human fathers. Now our human experience is designed to reflect this in our world. The spiritual dimension of the fifth commandment is supposed to be reflected in the human dimension of our experience. We always have to remember that the ultimate obedience to the fifth commandment, because the law is a shadow, is to honor God the Father. After all, King Nebuchadnezzar's profession of faith in the one true God back in Daniel chapter 4 broke with his tradition of his fathers because he came from a Babylonian pagan tradition. Yet in the end, Nebuchadnezzar obeyed the fifth commandment because he honored his father in heaven. And so what we have here is Belshazzar is returning to the paganism of his forefathers and yet Belshazzar is breaking the fifth commandment because Nebuchadnezzar had placed his entire realm representatively in covenant with God through his profession. Go back to Daniel chapter 4 and you read what Nebuchadnezzar sent out to every nation and people about the profession of the faith in the one true God. He had made Babylon part of God's covenant people. He had placed Babylon representatively in covenant with God. Yes, they were Gentile believers, yet God's believing people still as through the faith of Nebuchadnezzar. And we can understand this because the old creation had both land and sea, both Jews and Gentiles in the old creation. And we can contrast this with the new creation that we see coming in Revelation 21, for example, that there is no sea in the new heavens and the old earth, but the original creation had land and sea. And Babylon, as one example of Gentile believers in the Old Testament, is representative of that Gentile sea who believed in God. And so what you really have in Daniel 5 is that Belshazzar had led the nation into apostasy just like Israel had gone into apostasy from their covenant faith. And that's why we see some of the very same language, some of the very same imagery in Isaiah chapter 13 in the judgment of Babylon as we see with Israel because Babylon was a covenanted nation through Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar had broken faith with God by disobeying his father. And so apostasy in Babylon would be judged in similar terms as when the Jews broke covenant with God by chasing after idolatry. Babylon, the great city, stood condemned as surely as Jerusalem stood condemned a few decades earlier. God judges his people, either Jew or Gentile, for apostasy and idolatry. And that's how we have Daniel chapter 5 as the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 13. Let's continue in verse 22 of our text. Daniel says, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and your nobles and your wives and concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold. You see what Daniel just did with the order? Silver, silver is now first. This is the pronunciation of the judgment. Because from here on out, the Persians would have God's kingdom. Silver and gold 
of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mini, mini, tekel, parzin. This is what these words mean. Mini, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. The writing on the wall was literally in front of the golden lampstand. There is a lot of stuff going on in this chapter. Go back to verse 5 and notice that the detail of the text says that the handwriting on the wall, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The handwriting on the wall takes place in front of the golden lampstand. This is the golden lampstand coming from the temple in Jerusalem. Now think if you think about the furniture of the temple, that is very significant because the lampstand was placed in front of the showbread, the table of showbread, on which were placed bread. How many loaves? Anybody want to guess how many loaves were on the table of showbread? Twelve loaves. Very good, representing the twelve tribes of Israel. And the imagery in the temple is that the, the bread sits there and the light lightens the bread or light illuminates the bread for judgment. So there's any impur- impurities or imperfections in the, in the bread, the lampstand shows it. So we have something similar going here because the lampstand is in judgment of Babylon. And the inscription here, they probably took these as nouns. Mini is Aramaic for mina. It actually is a weight, uh, uh, actually a, a monetary unit. Tekel is very close to shekel. But actually, Daniel reads them as verbs. Weighed, let's see, how does it go? Reckoned, reckoned, weighed, assessed. Notice those are verbs. And the imagery here is of judgment related to being weighed in the scales, similar to how, for example, Lady Justice is presented as blindfolded holding scales. This is the judgment of Babylon. The kingdom is weighed, just like a Babylonian merchant would weigh gold and silver coins. These guys really understood this imagery once it was explained. A Babylonian merchant would take gold or silver coins, put them in the scales, weigh them, and they were found to be too light. Perez means assayed or examined, not necessarily divided. It says the kingdom was divided, but actually that's as in opened up to examined inside of the kingdom because actually the whole kingdom goes to, to Darius. And then it said Perez means paid forward like a monetary transaction to the Medes and the Persians. And so we see this fulfillment here of, the, of Daniel's interpretation of the dream of Daniel chapter 2 where the kingdom goes from the gold of the Babylonians to the silver of the Medes and Persians. Verse 29. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple and a gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Herodotus the historian tells us that Darius the Mede actually took Babylon in surprise because Babylon was engaged in a huge revelry, dancing, feast type thing. So this checks out with history. Probably not just the king, 
he probably invoked all of his people to call upon their gods as well. And this is exactly when Darius breached the walls, opened the gates, and destroyed Babylon. Now in our text, Belshazzar tries to make amends, but it was too late. There's an interesting detail here regarding Daniel and gold. Remember back in Daniel chapter 1, I talked about how the imagery of the chapter at the beginning and the end matches. So that when Nebuchadnezzar goes and takes the gold articles from the temple in Jerusalem, brings them to the house of his gods, we also see that he brought other contents, Daniel and his three friends, as God's priests. And there's this association in Daniel chapter 1 that the gold is Daniel and his three friends. Well, in this chapter, there is seven mentions of gold and seven mentions of Daniel. The last one being when the chain, the gold chain is placed on Daniel's neck. And so the, I think the imagery here actually goes way back in the Old Testament because Adam was placed in the garden with gold. And I think Adam was, was being presented as God's gold. You have Abraham, for example, who finds himself in close proximity and possession of gold. And now we have Daniel, who is the true gold in Babylon. But the end of Daniel chapter 5 tells us the fate of not one, but two sons of Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar does not honor his father and mother during his rule and dies an early death. Remember, the fifth commandment comes with a promise so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Well, how would that apply to Belshazzar? Well, the kingdom was given to Belshazzar, right? That was the land that, was the land that God gave that kingdom. And yet, he did not live long. He died that night. But there is another son in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel is also Nebuchadnezzar's son. For Nebuchadnezzar had adopted him back in Daniel chapter 1. Remember? Nebuchadnezzar had named Daniel Belteshazzar. And that's what fathers do to children. They give them a name. And so we have a contrast in the entire chapter between two sons. Belshazzar is contrasted with Belteshazzar. Even the names have a brotherly similarity. One is a disobedient son. One of them dies young. The other is an obedient son and lives long, even taking his place in the next kingdom. We'll see how Daniel continues in his priestly ministry in this kingdom during the reign of the silver. He also ends up converting to faith another ruler, Gentile ruler, into the faith of the one true God in Daniel chapter 6. So may we learn from the faithful example of Daniel and honor our Father in heaven so that we may enjoy eternal life in his presence forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for what you've done for us, for leading us and guiding us in the ways that you would like us to go, for giving us a new name, for placing us in the land of your inheritance. We pray that you'd lead us and guide us, teach us to be uh, faithful children who honor our parents. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for Jesus Christ, to whom all these stories point. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen.